is coronavirus, the bug that gives the global economy a cold. Here's what matters. Live from the road in Paris, France, I'm Lauren Goodman. And here at the New York Life Investments home office in New York City, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's Income Builder Fund, as well as individual solutions for our partners. Exactly. And by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of March 3, 2020. There are so many things that we could talk about during today's podcast, but there's really only one thing to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, it's coronavirus, and it's absolutely dominated the market attention as well as the popular interest of the media. Yeah, and our inboxes. So let's cut right to the chase. The S&P 500 saw the fastest 10% sell-off in history last week as investors absorbed the fear that coronavirus would spread out of China, out of Asia, and right to developed markets. The U.S. 10-year fell below 1% for the first time in history, and all of this is reflecting general risk-off sentiment. Credit spreads started to rise, too. And so far, the risk-off sentiment has really impacted just about everything. Equity and fixed income, U.S. and international securities, everything. And it's it's really easy to end up down a coronavirus-related rabbit hole, but I'll just say a brief thing about the virus itself before we get into implications. So... There's so much uncertainty around the spread and impact of the virus that we're just generally preparing for the idea that the virus will spread. A Harvard epidemiologist said last week that the incubation period and global travel mean that this thing will probably end up being global. That doesn't mean everybody's going to get sick, though. Testing in Korea has shown that lots of people have carried the disease and not shown that many symptoms. And in other words, we're preparing for the virus to be super serious and have serious impacts, but we'd encourage our listeners not to panic. That's exactly right. And investors should be treating their portfolios in the exact same way as they treat their health. Even though health is way more important than investing, uh, we think that people should be prepared, but don't panic. Uh, In times of high volatility, it's important for investors to remember that events like this happen. And having a strategic investment plan and remaining committed to that plan are vital to meeting investor goals. And just like the CDC is recommending that people wash their hands, we have some basic recommendations for investor behavior. Yeah, and and to that point, there's a lot of reasons to expect volatility in the coming weeks. And so while, yes, the recent sell-off has been one of the worst ever, and yes, we could see more relief rallies and lots of volatility in the near term, generally speaking, it's too early to buy the dip. There's so much uncertainty about how this virus will develop and what the economic and market impacts will be. Reaching to one week's worth of market developments just usually isn't the right call. With that in mind, we'll try to avoid the virus rabbit hole and focus mostly on investment impacts with our Portfolio Pause, a segment where we share investment ideas for your portfolio. Joining us today in the studio to make sense of last week's wild ride in the market is our very own portfolio manager, Amit Sony. Amit, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
Since I'm the one in the studio today, I have the pleasure to interview Amit Sony. He has been doing a lot of work around uh, coronavirus potential impacts on the economy and markets uh, as it relates to his portfolio manager position. Um, and I think we're going to start this one off today with a bit of a history lesson. Amit, in terms of potential economic impacts from the novel coronavirus, what can we learn from history? Sure. So given the uniqueness of this situation, it is really hard to find good analogs from history. But in terms of ease of spread and mortality rates that we are seeing right now, Spanish flu of 1918 really comes close to this. Yikes. And that was a really bad one, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, almost 500 million, million people died globally from that. And the death rate was around 2.5%, which is what we are seeing right now. But given the lack of economic data in 1918, some studies have used print media as a source of information for economic effects. These suggest that many businesses, especially those in services and entertainment industries, suffered double-digit losses in revenue, while some of the healthcare product-focused companies did see a rise in revenue. Wow. So there were definitely winners and losers from that case. Uh, but... Are there any things that we can take away that m might be different this time around or similar this time around? Sure. So it is good to keep in mind that there are some key differences compared to 1918. So first of all, in 1918, the key group of demographic that was hit was the males aged 18 to 40 years old. While in this time, we are seeing 80-plus-year-olds getting hit the most. So that has a big economic impact or difference in economic impact. And if I may, the, that's a very different age cohort uh, and available source of, of workers for the economy. Exactly. That's true. So that's the biggest difference. Also, at the time of 1918 and 19, we had World War I going on, which had its own economic effects, and that also exacerbated the spread of the virus at that time. So we have to keep in mind these differences. Great. So if we keep those differences in mind, how does one go about assessing the economic impact of COVID-19? Sure. So since it's hard to find something similar in history, we have looked at some of the research reports that came out from government agencies in mid-2000 after we had the SARS outbreak in early 2000s. Got it. What did those research reports say? Yeah. So these reports give us an estimate of what we might be seeing in terms of economic impact in case we get a severe pandemic or something like a mild to moderate pandemic. So at the lower end of these ranges, we have a report from Congressional Budget Office from 2006, which says that the impact to the U.S. GDP could be around 4.25%. Another report from World Bank said that the world GDP can take a hit of around 4.8% in a severe pandemic. Now, if we look at the higher end of these estimates, a research report from Center for Applied Macroeconomic Analysis from Australian National University estimated the GDP shock to be around 5.5%. And the worst of it comes from a report from Bank of Montreal suggesting that in a severe pandemic like 1918 Spanish flu, we can see an impact of 6% to the U.S. GDP. So it ranges roughly from 42 to 6%. That is quite high. How do these scenarios compare to past recessions that we've experienced? Sure. So if you look at the past six recessions, 
an average GDP decline from trend growth is somewhere around 5%. So these severe cases lie right in that range from 4.2 to 6% impact based on these studies. But if you look at the mild to moderate cases from these reports, we're looking somewhere close to 1% to 2% impact to GDP. Sometimes GDP is a bit intangible, but we're thinking about in terms of what could happen in markets. Do you have a view on what a, a contraction in GDP would mean for the financial markets? Yeah, that's really interesting. So if we are looking at a severe pandemic, uh, the impact to GDP is close to past recessions. And in past recessions, we have seen a drawdown of around 35% in the recession. But what also matters is what were the valuations at the time of the peak before a recession started? Uh, the price investors are willing to pay for for Exactly. So if you look at the past six recessions, the lowest drop in GDP happened in 2001, uh, the, the, the GDP impacted, was impacted by around 3.5%, but the equity prices fell a lot more than an average recession. The prices were down almost by 50%, and that is something to keep in mind right now because equity valuations are quite elevated this time as well. With equity valuations elevated and concerns about global growth, what moves are you making in the portfolio, and do you have any regional preferences to allocate money? In terms of regions, it's really hard to predict because if you look at the current situation, yes, the virus has spread a lot in China already, and the number of infected cases in U.S. and Europe are quite low. But this situation can change very rapidly because the kind of measures that China has taken to control the spread of the virus, Western governments are not able to do that. And that's why we try not to have a preference uh, for one region over the other. Thank you very much for that analysis, Amit, and the portfolio contributions that you're making. We will be working with you very closely as we continue to see developments in COVID-19. But for now, thank you so much for joining our program. Thanks for having me. Before we go, Lauren, what do we have in the docket this week? Honestly, I think that the virus and its impact on markets and the economy are going to be the key concern again for investors this week. We have some important economic data. The February jobs report is out on Friday. Certainly the impacts of Super Tuesday are interesting, but I think the market interpretation of everything that's going on is going to be unreliable in the coming weeks, maybe even months. Market readers will be trying to decipher how much of any slowness is due to the virus versus the pre-existing slowdown and when things will pick back up. And it's just all going to come down to where the virus is spreading. Nothing else is going to matter very much. Yeah, I totally agree with you, LG. This is going to be an up and down market, an extremely fluid situation. Um, we definitely have some stuff going on between Super Tuesday and the election cycle, but market attention is all all eyes on, on COVID-19 developments. Well, then that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, hit us up on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com slash blog. Until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. We look forward to hearing from you.
Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.